Hi everyone and welcome to How to College First Gen, where we have real conversations about what it's like to be a first generation student before, during, and after college. For those of you new to the podcast, our goal here is to democratize knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a little bit more about the first gen experience, and hopefully help others going through some of the challenges first gens experience by sharing lessons learned from fellow first gens. I am Luce, one of the podcast co-hosts and a first generation student myself. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Maria about financial literacy and well-being and how to get started. If you're a first-gen like me who comes from a background with limited financial expertise, figuring out how to set yourself up to be financially stable may come with many unknowns and confusion as to how to begin. So join us today as our guest Maria, who understands that struggle, shares with us how her relationship with money evolved and some tips and rules of thumb to get you started on how to think more financially savvy. Maria, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, Luz. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to chat with you today. And I am the person behind First Gen Living. I am also a first-generation immigrant and college student. I actually graduated from Yale College, and now I live in New York City. Thank you so much, Maria. So before we dive into the topic of financial literacy and what it means to be financially well off, why don't you tell us a little bit about just your first-gen experience? When did you realize you were first-gen? I guess it must have started back in high school when I was trying to fill out college applications and college paperwork by myself. And I noticed these identifiers like first gen. And I knew that my parents had not gone to college. So I checked off that box. And then I didn't really think about it again until I was at Yale. And I realized there were groups where being first gen was part of what was bringing them together and seeking support, seeking resources, and and that the people there, their experience lined up with mine. Coming from a low-income background, being the first to go to college, and now being the first to be pursuing these professional or white-collar jobs. That's actually really cool that you had groups on campus dedicated for that, because I know when I went to college, some of that was just kicking off but it was really helpful to see like, oh, you're not the only one. Like a lot of people have these gaps. Other people just, it was like natural to them because they were aware of like what the college experience was like. And so really glad that you were able to lean on some of those groups from from early on and, and get that support as well. Yeah, I was pretty shocked when I did realize during my first year in college that there were people who had parents that knew what was going on. I had been doing everything by myself. You know, my parents were supportive in that they wanted me to pursue higher education, but they couldn't really help me with the administrative stuff or with my academics. And I started seeing that there were people who could call up their mom or call up their dad and vent to them about their college problems. And that was new to me. I I thought, oh, I thought we were all doing this by ourselves. Yeah, I remember my parents stopped being able to help me with my homework, third grade or something. <laughs> Everything going forward, it was like, oh yeah, you just kind of have to figure it out on your own. And seeing other people being able to rely on parents was just kind of wild to me. <laughs> and same thing, I think, with like the finances. So I, I also came from the first-gen low-income background. And so going to college and then seeing 
the range of resources people have. Some people had zero worries about getting textbooks. It's like thinking about the finances there was interesting. How did you go about thinking about like finances in college? I identify as first gen both on the college and education front and also on the immigration front. I immigrated from Mexico when I was about nine years old. So growing up, I knew that I wanted to go to college, but I didn't really realize until high school what it would mean for me financially trying to pursue college as an immigrant. So in high school, I had this moment where I had started talking to my parents about money and it hit me that they may not have the money to support me and that I, as an undocumented person at the time, would not have access to financial aid. So I was very scared in high school and, you know, even had moments of, am I even going to be able to go if I don't have help from my parents or the government or schools? Will I have to try a community college, which is, they're great, but I had always envisioned myself going to a top college and I had these big dreams and just everything seemed so tenuous given my immigration status. So money was definitely on my mind as soon as it hit me that I was undocumented and that I would not have the same opportunities as some of my peers, both on that front and then just on being low income. So how did you end up navigating all of that? I actually came across QuestBridge and applied. And that's how I really learned about these possible big scholarships from top universities. Besides that, I had already applied for a green card through my dad, who had become a citizen a few years back, and was hoping that my green card would be approved in time for me to get federal and private aid. But there was a lot of just uncertainty. So I definitely leaned on QuestBridge, but also just on getting that green card before I would actually have to go on to college. Did you end up getting your green card in time? I did get my green card senior spring in high school. And it was around that time I also got my first acceptance letter from a college. I had not gotten the QuestBridge full scholarship, but then getting the green card and getting my first acceptance to a top college with generous financial aid, that lifted all the weight of my shoulders. Finally felt like, okay, going to college, I will be able to afford college. And I'm remembering now that part of my plan as an immigrant was actually to apply as an international student to private universities because technically I I am a Mexican national and I did not have a social security. So I was actually, I, I think I may have applied or thought about applying as an international student. So there were a bunch of different ways, strategies that I was researching and trying to get answers for during this uncertain time. That's a lot to juggle, figure out for the first time and just go forward with beyond just thinking about the finances of it. So kudos to you for getting through it. Thank you. I wish I remembered how I found out about the international part, the applying as an international student. Though when you apply as an international student, isn't the case that the financial aid can be pretty limited? 
Yeah, exactly. So that's what contributed to this panic of, am I even going to afford college? Yeah, but I guess at that point, it's like, well, that's another avenue you could take to at least apply and then maybe figure out the finances down the road. Buy myself some time and just figure out if these colleges are going to accept me or, you know, compare my options once I have options. That's a lot to think about for like a 17, 18 year old and pretty early on to start thinking about finances in general. So I know you mentioned you are the face behind First Gen Living. So what prompted you to start First Gen Living? Yeah, now that I've been sharing my background with you, I'm realizing that I've been thinking about money for a while. And First Gen Living was really born to get to do that with more people. And it was really in 2020 that I had been spending about two years researching and learning about how to manage my money after getting my first full-time job post-college. I had been making about almost 50000 by then, and I was living in New York City, but I still had money left over after rent and food and those necessary expenses. And I found myself wondering, you know, how is it that people who seem to be financially stable, seem to have higher incomes, how do they turn those paychecks into their dreams and into vacations and home ownership? I was curious about, okay, now that I have these opportunities that my parents did not have, what can I do? So 2020, I was at my peak of just wanting to consume and talk, consume money content, talk about money content, like books, podcasts, YouTube tutorials. I decided to start my own page on Instagram. That's where First Gen Living first started and give my friends, my networks the option to talk money with me on there. I really wanted to share the resources I was picking up with other people and hopefully have them benefit from these resources alongside me. That's super cool that you were digesting the stuff that you were learning about finances and then sharing it with others. Because I feel like one of the hurdles is just really understanding it. Yeah, that's what I realized once I started posting that I wanted to learn alongside other people. And just being a few steps ahead helped me be able to break it down for people who were, you know, a few steps behind me. But also, I was able to talk to people who were a few steps ahead of me. And I felt this was a good fit for me, given that I value education. And I also believe that education should be more collaborative. That's what's been so special about First Gen Living is that as I'm learning, I'm sharing what I'm learning. And I can also immediately hear what other people's opinions or learnings are on the topic. And people can kind of opt in and out of these conversations. So what really got you to look into finances a little bit more deeply? I mean, obviously, you were aware of just finances in general, from just your experience of getting to college and figuring out how to just finance it off the bat. But what prompted you to go beyond that and really want to explore more the moment that is most vivid, it was my first day at my 
first postgrad job and they bought out paperwork about my benefits. And I don't know what I checked off, but I knew that I wanted to come back to my package and really understand what was available to me. So, you know, right after college, it's it was my first time getting cash, but also having to provide for myself. So figure out my health insurance, some of my personal needs, like for example, I'd always wanted LASIK and I wanted to figure out if I could afford it, when could I afford it, how long would I have to wait before I could afford it. So these questions about benefits, about how could my employer help me with these goals I have came up first day, but then they kept coming up as I started to pay for things, want things. Given that I did have support in undergrad, there were FGLI groups, there were there was a Latinx cultural center at Yale called La Casa. Given these networks and support systems I had, I was used to asking for help and asking for resources from my institution. And so going into that first job, it felt like a habit to figure out what was available to me. And I couldn't be more thankful for that because even though I didn't know what I was doing, I knew even to ask. So that's how I started getting answers for my specific situation. But then I also started Googling personal finance, help personal finance tools. And my first big resource was this book called How to Get a Financial Life by Beth Cobliner. That book had so many resources in it that just, they just built on each other. So it was kind of an exponential curve of learning where once I opened that door, I could see all of these tools. I I love the bit about asking for help because that is so, so, so important and just learning to not be afraid about asking for help. I think for me, yeah, the paperwork, the 401k stuff and all of those things, like I had no idea what it meant. But from having friends that were maybe a couple steps ahead, teaching me a little bit about it, I think that's where I I first got interested in in learning a little bit more. And so I'm I'm really glad that you are sharing what you learn with others because I feel like that's all it takes, like just that first initial introduction to what financial literacy is and what you can do with it to really get you going. Yeah, I felt like if I am having these questions, I imagine that some of my friends and my colleagues are also having these questions. So I am not going to just be the person to go up to people and say, hey, you want to talk about your 401k? But Let me start an Instagram page and be public about my desire to have these conversations. And then if people want to talk to me about that too, awesome. So it sounds like you took off with this kind of stuff after you had your first job and had that first taste of real money. But was there anything that you maybe did in college or wish you would have done in college to help set you up? I do want to share what I did do that I am very thankful for, which is that, you know, seeking that part-time job and always applying for things that would give me money for my projects and for my summers. My one regret would be to only have a checking account. So as an undergraduate, 
that's all I had. The Bank of America checking account that my mom helped me open when I was in high school. And I did not have a savings account and I did not open a credit card. And looking back, I think it would have been helpful to start separating my spending money that goes into the checkings account from my savings that should go into a savings account. Just getting myself in that habit of separating my different types of of money and then opening up a credit card so that I had some credit when I graduated college and had to look for my first apartment in New York City where most apartments, most brokers will ask you for your credit report and your credit score. And if you don't have credit, then they will ask you for a letter from your parents or from another adult that testifies that they make more than 40 times your monthly rent. And of course, you know, FGLI students, our parents don't have that. So uh, I would say that if I could do it over, I would say, hey, open a savings account and open a secured credit card to start building your credit. Yeah, I think that's a good point to bring up because I, so I didn't get my first credit card until a couple of years after I had started working. And uh, yeah, I remember it just like that whole building of the credit stuff just took forever because I remember when I graduated from college, then I needed to get a card to be able to get to and from work. And then I needed to have like one of my parents co-sign for that car. And then once I started paying that off, then I started building credit. And so it was a whole deal. So I definitely would also echo that getting a credit card and, and really being responsible about a credit card and knowing how to like use it. Because I know for me, initially, when I thought about credit cards, it was like, oh, no, you like absolutely want to stay away from them. They're evil, like they can get you. But it's really about learning how to properly use them. So for me, when, every time I use my credit card, as if it was coming from like my checkings account. So if I didn't have it in my checkings account, you know, no matter what my credit limit was, like it meant that I couldn't afford it. So just learning to be smart with credit cards, but definitely agree with you that you want to have something at least like a credit card to start building up that credit. In college, I, when I told my parents that I'd taken out $3,000 for the school supplies, they freaked out and basically told me, if you ever need money, tell us first because debt is bad and don't take out debt. So in my head, I felt very, very ashamed, very guilty and got stuck with that idea that debt is bad, period. And I imagine that influenced my approach or lack of approach to credit. So speaking of of that a little bit and just like your general relationship with money and how it's changed, because I I think a lot of first gen and and specifically like low income students have these like weird relationships with money where, yeah, like debt is is something you definitely want to avoid just because if you get into it, like you just dig yourself into a hole. So how has your relationship changed? My relationship with money has definitely improved since learning more about personal finance. I think this applies to any topic, but the less you know about a topic, and if you see a topic only being taught by people that don't look like you, 
it becomes a very, very scary topic to even approach. So that's where I started. I definitely was scared to learn about money and I was afraid that I wouldn't get it. But the more I learned, the more I realized, okay, money is just a tool, money management. It's about managing this tool and about doing some very, very basic math. So when it comes to to debt, how my relationship with debt has changed is that it started off as something that was very scary and that I felt guilty about from college, my college experience. But now I know that uh, debt is just a financial tool, a financial product that we can use to access a purchase that we may not otherwise have access to. So for example, with student loans, we take out loans so that we can pay for education if we can't afford it otherwise. And that's not necessarily bad, right? Because if we couldn't take out those loans, some of us could not access our educational desires. But we do have to understand the repayment term. So what does it mean for me to have borrowed $3,000? What does it mean for you to have borrowed $30,000? What does it mean after graduation? Okay, it means a monthly payment for X period of years. So with debt, see it now as a tool, but it is important for us to know how it works so that we are signing up for that tool in an informed way. And we're not surprised once we do have to hold up part of those terms, which which are repayment. Absolutely. And I think the key term there is informed. And this is what all of this is about, just making sure we know how to inform ourselves. So kind of continuing on, on that thought. So what would be some of the ways that you would suggest people to start setting themselves up for financial well-being? I would say that picking up a book about personal finance will change your life. Because as you said earlier, even just opening the door to this world uh, will help you feel like you belong in these conversations. So my favorite book is I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. And that's a very pretentious title. But I promise you that the material is actually very, very good. And it's a really great introductory to how to manage your money. I'd say that tips to start as an undergrad or as somebody in academia, or even if you've already graduated and you're working or you're in between, I would say number one is learn about your institution's resources for you. So with college, be in touch with your financial aid office, be in touch with any resource group. So your FGLI groups on campus, even your professors, anytime that you have a project you want to do, put it out there that you need money to make it happen. And see if there's somebody who knows about a program or even knows about a federal grant for this. I got a federal grant for a language study program. So just make sure to tap all of your institution's resources with your employer. Same thing. Reach out to HR. Tell your manager. Ask if they have funding to help you with this. So that would be number one. Really milk your institution. And then number two, as first-gen kids, we think about the good jobs being a lawyer or being a doctor or something like that. But really, 
in the U.S. there are so many jobs. And if you are in college or if you were planning to go to college or planning to pursue another degree after college, there will be so many more jobs out there than what you may have imagined. For example, you know, I was interested in social justice and I was interested in a job that would pay me enough to support my parents financially down the line when they're ready to retire. And so I thought, what is a match for social justice and good pay? I thought, okay, a lawyer. And that is it's true. Social justice lawyers do make some money, but there are so many other jobs out there that fit those same interests and may pay even more or may involve less school than a lawyer. And so it's not as black and white as I'm going to be this or that. It's really, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of titles out there. And so the tip is to explore your interests and have coffee dates with the people around you or especially kind of people that just graduated and ask, what are some jobs you didn't know about until recently? Like, what are some jobs that sound really cool that you didn't know about when you were my age? That'll help you find more options. I think that is so, so true. If I go back and remember when I was in high school and the kind of jobs that I knew were out there, not not even close to what is out there. So I think that's a really, really great tip. But once you've landed your first job, so I've always heard like there's these buckets that you want to make sure you cover yourself financially. So making sure you have like your emergency fund before you start doing other sort of investing or making sure that you have your like 401k, for example, being matched by your employer. What other kind of tips like that would you have for someone who you know has their first job and wants to learn how to start maximizing those paychecks? The first thing to do is actually to start writing down some of your personal goals. Not a lot of people think to do that early on to think about, well, if I do have money, and you know, you do have money now that you have your first job, what would I want it to add up to if I could fast forward a couple of years? What would I want to have by then? And for me, I wanted to get LASIK. I also knew that I would want to get married. So I thought, you know, I would want to have a wedding. So just just start writing down some of your goals so that you have a compass. Because all of these accounts, like you mentioned, the 401k, or even just a savings account, there are other accounts like that your employer offers you like a flexible spending account, or a health savings account, all of these accounts can get really confusing. And the way to figure out if they're for you or not, is if you have a compass that is going to tell you, okay, this account makes sense for your goals. So number one is write down your goals. And then number two, I would say for 99% of people, it is to start contributing to a retirement investment account. So in the US, we have transitioned from the pension for retirement model to the investment account. So instead of employers offering you a pension, now most employers, the default offer is an investment account and they're called 401ks, 403bs, 457, TSPs. These are all the same accounts. The reason that they have these different names is because of your company's tax incorporation. And so uh, I would say start contributing to your retirement account through your employer. That's the easiest way for you to start. 
But if you're on your own, as soon as you have a job, as soon as you have income, you can open up your own retirement investment account. That's the IRA, the individual retirement account. So if you have both a 401k and an IRA, then you have two retirement investment accounts. And that's awesome. But uh, you can start with one or the other. You can start with the 401k or the IRA and bonus points if you have both. One other thing that's when I first started looking at like financial stuff, the one thing that was always super mysterious and I was just like, how do, how did this all work is investing and when can you invest and when should you invest and how much do you need to invest? So what would you say for someone who's interested in tapping into just the stock market and stuff and, and investing? Now, most employers default retirement plan is an investment account. So that's kind of a straightforward way to start investing is if your employer offers you that and if they offer a match or some sort of a free contribution toward your 401k, your retirement investment account, I would take a step back when it comes to investing and go back to the goal setting. So if you are investing, it should be for a specific goal. So investing isn't in and of itself a goal. The goal isn't, I want to start investing. It's, I want to start investing for. For example, if you are using your 401k, the goal behind that is to be able to stop working one day, right? To be able to retire one day, that's the goal. But that goal is going to require a different account than, for example, if I wanted to invest for my down payment, if I wanted to put money into the stock market to build my down payment fund. So I would take a step back and just see what you're investing for. And then as far as when should you start investing or how much should you invest? uh, As far as when, it is when as soon as you start working, and then if you do have debt, so if you have student loans or credit card debt or a car payment, the rule of thumb is that if your debt interest rate is 6% or lower, you can start investing and your net worth should go up. And so if you do have high interest rate debt, like a credit card, credit card debt, which are usually, you know, in the double digits, then it makes more sense, financially speaking, for you to prioritize repaying that than to start investing. And I like to just make sure people understand you can compare these interest rates. So if your loans are growing at a 10% interest rate, but your investments can only grow on average 8% every year, then you know those interest rates are different, right? The debt is growing at a 10% interest rate, whereas the investments, your assets can only grow at a at about an 8% interest rate, you're not going to really be making a dent in your money and your net worth. And so that's why uh, that's the rule of thumb to start investing once you're out of debt that is above 6%. And then how much, you know, as much as you can comfortably invest. And so you can start with as little as $20 per month. There's no requirement for you to start through your 401k. And then If you do go through an IRA, you know, your own individual retirement account, 
or some other personal account, most places do not have a minimum and they don't have a required monthly minimum. So it's up to you how much you can comfortably put into that fund. So one thing I'd like for you to clarify. So for like the retirement accounts, like the 401k, the RIA, those, correct me if I'm wrong, are set up so that you put money into them, but can't really take it out until like a retirement age of 65, right? So if you want to start saving money for like, for example, like a down payment and want to invest separately for that in just a couple of years, you know, well before 65, would that be like an avenue that you could do that? Great point. So these retirement investment accounts like a 401k and a traditional IRA, these do have rules around when you can start withdrawing your money penalty free. And that age is 59 and a half. So it's not 65 years old. You can start withdrawing from those accounts penalty free at 59 and a half. But uh, you're right. So if what about if I need this money earlier? What if my goal isn't retirement and it's a wedding or a down payment? In that case, a retirement account may not be the best option for a non-retirement goal. And Some of the options there are a brokerage account. So that's just a generic investment account. It doesn't have rules around how much you can put in or when you can take it out. There are no penalties around early withdrawal. So that's why I go back to that uh, goal setting as your compass so that you can pause and think about, okay, this is my goal. Does this account make sense for it given the rules around this account? just want to give a shout out to this retirement investment account called the Roth IRA. So this is a Roth individual retirement account. And the reason I want to give it a shout out is because you can put in $6,000 per year. And you can actually take out any contribution you put in anytime penalty free, even though it's a retirement account. However, any earnings, so any earnings on your contributions that you make, those do have to, you have to wait until 59 and a half to take those out. So if I put in 5,000 and it grows to 6,000, then I can take out my 5,000 contributions, but I have to wait until 59 and a half to take out the 1,000 in earnings. Gotcha. That's actually a really good point that I didn't realize. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually do have a Roth RA and I figured it was just like all the other ones where it's like, oh, you got to wait until you retire. So based on your work with other first gens, with everything you've learned, what would be some knowledge gaps that you've noticed among first gens that you think would be really great for them to know off the bat? My number one tip really is to reach out to your institution and ask for help. So if you're still in school, email, call, walk into those offices that have to do with your paycheck, that have to do with your health insurance, that have to do with your benefits, or even your own department. Ask, hey, I want to pay for this. Are there funds for this? And With your employer, if it's not a school, same, you know, ask about all of the different ways to unlock additional money, additional funding. I think that has been the most helpful to me personally is 
making sure that I ask what is available to me besides the obvious stuff. And then this is specific to people who are already employed. Take full advantage of your benefits package. And when you are getting a new job, your benefits package is for most jobs negotiable. So okay, maybe they can't pay you the 70000 that you're looking for, but can they contribute 6000 per year to your 401k? Not technically going to be getting that money to your checkings account, but you will be accruing that in a retirement investment account. And that's very valuable. Can they cover your full health insurance? That's also going to save you money. So I would say just make sure to look into all of the resources and benefits that your institution has to offer. And don't be afraid to start investing. That would be my second tip is don't be afraid to start putting money away into the stock market. That is the way that most Americans are saving for retirement now on their own. So there's social security, but if you want to start doing something on your own, it is just much more of the norm. And it is a highly regulated industry. And the US government has created these special accounts like the 401k and the IRA to help you get started. So make sure to start learning more about investing. It's it's really the easiest and cheapest way to start building generational wealth. And I feel like, yeah, the investing at first might seem very scary and very unknown. But as you learn more about it, it becomes a lot more manageable. Because I think that was the thing that took me the longest to take that next step and actually go in, open like a brokerage account, put some money in and see like that money start growing. But once I did, it all kind of made more sense. Absolutely. I want to just give another shout out to that book. I will teach you to be rich. He goes over the basics of investing and I'm glad you brought up, you know, that yeah, at first it's very scary. I was also very scared when I opened my first investment account, but you're not going to learn until you get started trying to apply some of these concepts that you're reading about. And I would also say that that book is often available through the public library. So I would suggest people start there. Maria Thank you so much for joining us and providing a little bit about your journey, a lot of really great and valuable tips that hopefully our listeners can take in and learn from. Obviously, they can also look at your page, First Gen Living, to learn a little bit more. Feel free to DM me, Maria Melchor at First Gen Living. That's my Instagram and my TikTok. I am always happy to hear from fellow first gen folks and talk about money with you. I genuinely enjoy it. And it's always, always a pleasure helping my community get their finances in order, start talking about money with their families and start building some of that generational wealth that a lot of our families came to this country for. So thank you, Luz, for having me. I I really, really appreciated getting the chance to talk to you today. As you heard from Maria, getting started with becoming more financially literate takes one step at a time. It's important to start with your financial goals to guide you and then start with understanding where you currently stand financially so you can choose the accounts that best fit your specific situation. There's a lot of great resources out there including Maria's page 
first-gen living that can help break down some of that financial language into clear and digestible information so you can make sure you're making informed decisions about your circumstances. If you have more questions or are still feeling a little uneasy about this topic, reach out to us online at howtocollegefirstgen.org. If you prefer to reach us on social media, you can find us at How to College First Gen on Instagram and Facebook and HTC First Gen on Twitter. Thanks again to our guests and thank you for tuning in today on How to College for First Gens. Remember, you are not alone in this journey. Until next time.